Good evening. Good evening, Evie Free. Uh, today's been a very, very busy day for Evie Free. We've had about 60 baptisms. Uh, yeah, you can clap for that. Yeah. It's an exciting day. It's been a little busy for me as well. I'm helping uh, teaching at a Hispanic church in East LA, and, and they don't do the 65 minute services. Uh, they they kind of go on prolonging for hours and wanting to pray and sing songs and. Yes, Jesus, yes. And so I, I was kind of, I was retained there for a little bit uh, on this busy, busy Sunday. And I think I had a margin of about maybe 15 minutes from coming from East LA to, to here to Fullerton. And the only thing I could grab to eat was McDonald's. And so my body is hating me right now. And so if I just pass out, please, please, just give me, give me an insulin shot and I'll be okay. Um, well, uh, my wife and I, we, we've, uh, we've celebrated a, a very major milestone in our lives. It was our first son, first and only son's uh, first birthday last month. And, and, oh, thank you, thank you. And, you know, some of you uh, that were maybe in the worship center when I spoke, I kind of shared the story, but in Korean culture, the first birthday is very significant. Uh, it's so significant that some families actually spend more money on the first child's birthday than the wedding. Yeah, that's right. And a typical Korean wedding is not your under 100. It's, 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 it could range up to 500 to 1,000 people. That's, it's a lot of money. And so a first birthday is very, very significant. And, and if you know Korean culture, if you've ever been to one of these first birthdays, the apex or the highlight of the event is this is interesting voodoo-type ritual, right? We, we lay out a blanket and, and Koreans like to gamble. And so we like to, you know, put raffles into what object the, the baby will pick. And whatever item the baby will pick will determine the entire career of that infant's life. So, so an example, the tr- tradition is, you know, we lay out a pencil. And if he grabs a pencil, then it'll, the, the student will be, or the, the infant will be incredibly intelligent and a bright scholar. If the baby picks dollar bills, they'll be rich and make a lot of money. And so for me and my wife, we laid out five items on this blanket and we laid out a mini keyboard because my wife and I were classically trained musicians. I was a classically trained violinist and she's a cellist. Uh, We laid out a a $100 bill. My father's a CEO and I I used to work in investment banking and so possibly my son would own own his own business someday. Uh, We laid out a paintbrush. So if you grab the paintbrush, uh, that he would be an artist like my wife. My wife is very, very artistic. And we laid out a golf ball to represent being a professional athlete because let's face it, He's not going to make it to the NBA or NFL, most likely. If he's going to be a professional athlete, he's probably going to be a golfer. It's, it's the most practical, possible, and probable sport that he's going to make it in. And then lastly, I, I, I laid out a Bible for the last object because, you know, I didn't think I'd be this way, but just in me wants so badly for my son to carry on my mantle as a preacher and teacher of God's word. I want him to carry on my legacy. And so if I were to ask you, which one do you think my son picked? And please, if you're in the worship center, don't give it away. Paintbrush? Paintbrush? He picked the stupid golf ball, that's right. <laughs> he picked the, the least kind of Asian honorable one. And he's going to be a pro athlete. Um, and, and, and to be very honest, I know it seems like a joke, I was very hurt that he didn't pick the Bible. I was very, very disappointed as, as a father because I just so badly want my son to, to carry on that legacy, my mantle. I, I didn't think I'd be like this, but hey, it's in my DNA. And so I was, I, was, I was a little hurt and disappointed. 
But I've come to terms with it. I've come to terms with the possibility that my son might not be, uh, have the same career as me. Um, and I thought about it. I thought that more than whatever career or vocation my son had in picks, or even more than what he does, what I want mostly, most importantly as a father, is I, I want my son not to live in fear. Because my entire life, I lived in so much fear. My father left when I was five, and, and because of that, I've had this deep fear of abandonment. And it's, and it's caused me to have a di- distortion in my view of relationships. I'd be either very clingy in my friendships or, or ex- my, with my ex-girlfriends because I'm so afraid that they'll leave me one day. Or I'd be incredibly distant, knowing that they're going to leave me someday and I can't get too attached to them. I have a deep fear of, of not disappointing people, a fear of disapproval. I'm an only child. And so all the burden and weight and pressure of being successful was on me. I lived with so much fear. And I know some people in this room, some of us, we fear failure. We fear how to survive. Some of us are scraping to make the rent at the end of the month. How are we going to pay the mortgage? We fear relationships. We fear whether or not we're going to make it and be successful. We fear that we might be alone forever. And why that's so important is because fear restricts us from growing. Fear prevents us from spiritually growing. It's fear that holds us back actually from following Jesus passionately. It's fear that holds us back from spreading the good news of Jesus to the people who need it the most. Do you know what the most repeated command in the Bible is? 365 times in the scripture, God commands, do not be afraid. So we're starting a series for the next four weeks in the Gospel of Mark called Fearless. A four-week study in the book of Mark because the book of Mark is written to people who are desperately afraid. Mark was written to to believers in the city of Rome and they're afraid and they're fearing because they're under Roman persecution. People who have any association to this person named Jesus is being tortured harassed and arrested. So it's in this book, in the Gospel of Mark, that we're going to journey through this series. So I will be kicking off this week. Austin will be doing the next weeks, and I'll be closing up the fourth week. So let's turn to the Gospel of Mark. I miss the sound of fluffing pages because everything's on, online these days. Um, something I find interesting and really helpful in the gospel of Mark is that Mark tells his story in the life of Jesus very uniquely. 
he tells it differently than the other gospel writers. It's very different from Luke, very different from John, very different from Matthew. And what Mark does is he tells his story by highlighting three, three types of people. And these three types of people are categorized by how they respond to Jesus. And the first type of uh, people or people group is the Pharisees and the scribes. The Pharisees and the scribes are fellow rabbis and teachers of the law. And whenever Jesus would heal, whenever Jesus would do a miracle, whenever Jesus would authoritatively teach, these scribes and these Pharisees would react and respond very negatively to Jesus. Very antagonistically to Jesus. So much that this antagonism grows to the point that they plot his assassination. The second group of people is what we call the crowd or the people. Jesus will be in a public place and he'll be authoritatively teaching. He might be casting out a demon. He might be healing uh, someone who's sick or doing a miracle. And repeatedly, this group of people responds to Jesus in this particular way in amazement, in astonishment. The problem is they do nothing about it. They do nothing after they're astonished and amazed. The third group of people are the disciples. The disciples are the ones that Jesus handpicked to follow him. And what do you think the disciples' response in the gospel of Mark would be? Surely it's the disciples, the insiders, that are bold and courageous, right? Ironically, we see that in the gospel of Mark, it's the disciples that are repeatedly responding to Jesus in fear and confusion. I'll give you an example. In chapter four of Mark, they're, they're out on a boat and Jesus is sleeping and then there's a great storm, a very, very famous story, right? So, so, uh, so stormy that they wake up, Jesus, Rabbi, Master, we're gonna die, please wake up. And what does Jesus do? He just talks to the sea and says, be still. And the storm calms down. And he turns to his disciples and says, why are you so afraid? Jesus walks on water. They think they, they see a ghost and they're afraid. And Jesus again says, why are you so afraid? Jesus gets crucified and dies And the disciples are so fearful, they scatter and hide. So then, who's the example in the gospel of Mark? If if it's not the Pharisees and the scribes, if it's not the crowd, if it's not the disciples, who are the examples, who are the fearless examples in the gospel of Mark? Some say Jesus It's actually in a fourth group that's overlooked. It's what we call the outsider. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, there are these outsiders that are overlooked. It's the people that in society that are written off. It's the person that is demon-possessed, right? It's, it's Crazy Bob on the corner of the street. Yep, he always hears those voices. It's the woman who's been bleeding with a hemorrhage for years. Oh, yeah, she's, she's been sick forever. She's never going to get healed. 
It's the deaf person. It's the mute person. It's the blind person. It's the beggar. It's the cripple. And actually what you see in the narrative and the story of Mark is that it's these outsiders that actually get it right. It's the insider, the disciples that are confused and are afraid. But it's the outsider, the ones that society has written off that appropriately respond to Jesus. And they're the ones that move the gospel forward in the story of Mark. So that's what we're going to look at today. So what would be the first example in Mark's story of someone who fearlessly moves the gospel forward? Well, in chapter 1, we, we see that this person is the leper. So we'll be reading. What is it about the leper in chapter 1? that fearlessly moves the gospel forward. Let's read from verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, fell to his knees asking for help. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Verse 41, moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing be clean. And the leprosy left him at once and he was clean. Now this is the part of the story that gets really interesting as we look in verse 43. Immediately Jesus says this. He sent the man away with a very strong warning. Jesus says this. See that you do not say anything to anyone. But go show yourself to the priest and bring the offering that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And what do you think the leper should have done? The leper who was healed by Jesus, who has all authority, wouldn't he be so fearful that the man who just instantly healed him of his leprosy Wouldn't he immediately, in fear, not tell anybody else? But what does the leper do? This is where it's very, very interesting. And Mark highlights this in verse 45. But as the man went out, he began to announce it publicly and spread the story widely so that Jesus was no longer longer able to enter any town openly but stayed outside in remote places. Still, They kept coming to him from everywhere. The fame and message of Jesus was being proclaimed and moved out because this leper fearlessly shared his story. So much to the point that he has the audacity to disobey a command from Jesus, the one that commanded him not to say anything. And you can be, you can, we can speculate what is it about the leper? Why did, why did he do that? And at a human level, from the perspective of the leper, we can, we can just imagine, well, I mean, he was a leper. He was an outcast in society. He wasn't even able to, to enter into the town or the city because he was unclean. If he was a Jew, he wouldn't even be able to enter into the temple because he was unclean. He was just probably excited that his life radically changed and was transformed. At a human level, we can possibly understand why the leper would disobey Jesus and tell every single person. 
But that's not the right question to ask. The right question is not to ask, the, the, the question is not to ask, why did the leper share? Why did the leper disobey Jesus? The right question to ask is, why does Mark highlight this particular part of the narrative in closing in the story of the leper? What is it about this disobedience? What is it about this audacity that this leper has? What it is is, remember, the outsider is the one that has it right. It's the outsider who is the example of fearlessly moving the gospel forward. And how I, how I know this, and I'm, gonna, I'm about to get nerdy for a little, like 45 seconds, and it's so important, so please bear with me. But for 45 seconds, hang in there. The very first verse of the Gospel of Mark, it says this. It's very unique to any other gospel narrative. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. No other gospel, Matthew doesn't start that way, Luke doesn't start that way, John doesn't start that way. But Mark, Mark starts with the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if you were to look at similar documents in its time, if you were to look at a biography or a fable of a famous Roman general, or a Roman emperor, or a Caesar, you would find that the document begins the beginning of the gospel of Caesar. The beginning of the gospel of this general. Very, very similar. It's a title. It's a title of the gospel of Mark. And in these documents, in these stories of generals and Caesars, it would be dramatic. It would showcase their power and authority and their dominance. And at the end of the story, at the end of their biographies, it would say, the end. The beginning of the gospel of so-and-so, the end. But if you look at the end of Mark, chapter 16, It ends abruptly. You might notice in your Bible, there is a footnote that says, in the original manuscript, chapter 16, verses 9 to 20 are added later. And to be, again, a little bit nerdy with you, I I study the Greek intensely. And when you read the Greek, it doesn't even match the stylistic rhetoric and grammar of the entire book of Mark. So how does the original document of the story of Mark end? It ends with the resurrection of Jesus. The tomb is empty. And the angel says to the women who are there, go and tell the disciples. But the story abruptly ends with these three words. They were afraid. They were afraid. And actually in the Greek, it ends with the word for. So abruptly, mid-sentence, the story does not end. And so the reader is reading Mark, wondering why doesn't the story end? Why isn't the conflict resolved? Because these people who follow Jesus are so afraid. 
and it's left with the reader, I have to do something about it. I have to do something about it. And so it's the story of the leper that serves as the example of the gospel moving forward because he shared fearlessly of how God healed him. But what what does that look like, right? I want to fearlessly share a story about how I was healed. Like the, like the leper, I was sick. I was very broken. I was broken in my sexuality, in my view of intimacy and eroticism. Like many young men in this room, I was exposed to pornography at a very young age. But a little bit more than average, I, I mentioned that my father left when I was five. And so I would visit him when I was a little boy. From eight to 13, I would go to Korea and visit my father. And what I observed is that my father was a womanizer. And as a young little boy, when I was eight, I would actually walk into inappropriate situations. And these traumatic memories for me, since a little boy, has made me fear and have a distorted view of what marriage looks like. I actually had a fear that is it possible for someone to stay faithful to their spouse? And it's incredibly frightening right now to share that as a pastor. I'll share with you you a story. One One of my close friends, actually one of my groomsmen, he called me on a Sunday afternoon and I was a pastor at another church, and so it's very odd that he would be calling me because he knows Sunday is a very, very busy day for me. So when I saw his number call me, I, I picked it up, saying, hey, Chris, what's up, man? Hey, um, my pastor just announced he's resigning. And I said, oh, okay, why? And he said, he had an affair. And I was shocked. I was like, wow, I mean, that happens. That's, you know, unfortunately, that's normal. Or not normal, but that, that does happen. And what he said next was more shocking than anything. He said, Eddie, I'm calling you because I couldn't stop thinking about you the entire time. My pastor was well-educated, has a beautiful family, is moderate, moderately good-looking, And that really rocked me when he, he made that phone call to me. And it really tapped into the trauma that I had as a child that I felt so anxious about and worried about. And I share all this because I can say confidently that I've been healed. That there is no power in what happened to me as a child from my past in my life right now. And how that happened was I was at a Best Western with, with, another, with another guy. I should rephrase that. I should rephrase that. I was at a conference that was held at a Best Western, and my best friend was assigned as my roommate. Is that clear? 
Is that clear? Please, please, no emails about this. <laughs> so I was at a conference at a Best Western, and my best friend was assigned as my roommate. Very, very clear. Two separate beds, okay? And my, my best friend, we, he's, a, he's a pastor. He's also, he's also Asian. He's Korean. And and, you know, we, we talk about everything. We talk about our insecurities. We talk about our fears. We talk about all the, the dumb stuff that we think no one really cares about. We just, we just share life together. But the one area that we feel like we're, we're not able to share, I don't know if it's because we're pastors or I don't know if it's because we're Asian, is our sex life with our spouses. We feel like we just can't talk about that. So we're at this Best Western and we're just, you know, separate beds. We're trying to go to sleep, aimlessly staring at the ceiling. And, and something in me just said, his name is Hyo. I said, Hyo, I think I need some help, man. And he's like, why? And I just share with him, hey, this happened to me when I was a kid, and I'm just deathly afraid if I can make it. I just hear so many stories from so many good people just, just morally failing. And we talked about it. We talked about intimacy with our wives and intimacy with our parents and we were able to explore that and, and what the healing process was was that I felt for the first time really in my friendship with him that there's nothing that I could do for him to love me any less. And isn't that the love of Christ? Isn't that the love of Jesus lived out that you feel like there's nothing that I could do or say to be judged by this person, that I'm so loved by this person, accepted by this person, ruggedly committed to me, We talked all night. We didn't sleep a single minute. And I came out of that that best Western room feeling that what happened to me as a kid has no power over my marriage and my family today. I felt like such a strong hope that I can thrive as a minister of the gospel and as someone, as, as a father and a husband. And I was so excited. I, I shared with about five or six guys immediately. We were eating breakfast at, at, you know, continental breakfast at the hotel. I was like, hey, hey, I didn't sleep last night. And he's like, okay, why? What were you guys doing? <laughs> it's like, whoa. We were talking about this stuff. And I felt like, you know, oh, all this anxiety and this depression. And it was, was just spiritually, I just felt God doing something in that. I was telling these five or six guys and they were just so blown away about what happened. But it's interesting that right now as I'm telling this story, it's frightening. But what I'm hoping is that as I'm sharing this story, as I'm fearlessly sharing my story of how God healed my leprosy, that the gospel is moving powerfully in this place. I'm hoping that you have a better tangible sense of what the love of Jesus is and that Jesus can powerfully heal your brokenness. I'm hoping 
that that's what's happening. I know a lot of us have stories of how God healed us physically from illness, from cancer. I know we have stories emotionally where God saved us and and recovered us from depression and anxiety. And I know that there's so many great stories of redemption and recovery from alcohol and drug abuse. And when, when, when God saved you and he changed you and he healed you, you were probably so excited and you, you shared immediately because it was so revolutionary. God changed your life. But what happens when weeks go by? What happens when months go by? What happens when years go by? We fear people might know our past might note something about us that we want to keep secret and just want to live that new life we live in fear and what Mark is doing in the story of the leper is showcasing his fearlessness his audacity even to the point where he disobeyed Jesus that he shared his story of how he was healed Tonight, I want to invite an opportunity for all of us to do that. We're going to be baptizing. And we have one person scheduled to be baptized, but we want to open the invitation to anyone. If God has changed your life, if Jesus has pulled you out of that pit and has healed you from that brokenness, I want to encourage you to fearlessly share that and make a public declaration of that change tonight if you haven't done it. Because when you do that, the gospel powerfully moves in this place. Can we pray together? Father, some of us are, are living in that fear. That fear is very real to us today. But I pray that your Holy Spirit was able to stir in our hearts that we were encouraged to share our stories with one another, to not keep them dormant or secret. But Father, that we would fearlessly share them openly so that the gospel will move powerfully in our families, in our homes, in our churches, in our community groups, in our rooted groups, in junior high ministry, in high school ministry, in kids ministry in our workplaces, in our communities, in our city, that the gospel will powerfully move if we were to just be fearless and personally sharing how how you healed us of our brokenness, Lord. And I know, and I know that you've done that in this place to many of us. So Father, if we are afraid, we pray that, that the story of the leper will encourage us to live fearlessly tonight.
We pray that we will break through the fear of anyone that is hesitating to come and make a public declaration of what your son did for them. We pray that you would draw them here to make that step of faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.